Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Well, it's an honor to be able to open the Word of God with you today. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor David. I'm filling in for Pastor Jordan, who's at a leadership conference. We want to be praying for him. He's going to have a great time there. But today I want to speak with you about something that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And it's something that I think would help all of us today, whether you're brand new to faith and new to Christ, or you've been serving the Lord for a long time. And that's how do you dwell in the presence of God? How do you live with him? How do you stay in the presence? Because how many know God wants you to dwell in his presence? Do you know that? Oh, no hands went up. All right. I'll say that again. How many of you know God wants you to dwell in his presence? That's right. Good. That was not a rhetorical question. Um, I, uh, I, I believe that God does want you to. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more fruitful you become in your life. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he works in your life and good things start coming from your life. You know, at the church, we have something called Movement Course. And many of you have heard about it, you've gone through it, it starts up every month. It really is designed to be the on-ramp for everything happening at the church. But at Movement Course, especially in week one, we, we cover two things, how to follow Jesus, and then we introduce you to the church. Who, are, who is Awakening Church? One of the values that we walk people through in Movement Course is the first value, Jesus is our everything. He's our everything. We build our lives on Jesus. We want our lives to be directed by him. We call Jesus Savior and Lord because that means we put him in a position to lead us, to lord us, right, to rule over us. Not a bad thing. This is a good thing. And Jesus gets into this teaching. In John chapter 15, it's, the setting is the Last Supper. This is where Jesus reviews communion with them. He prays for them, tells them about the Holy Spirit. We know this is the same supper that Judas will leave and betray Jesus. But it's at this moment that Jesus gets into a teaching where he talks about himself as the vine. And this is a familiar passage with many of you, but I feel that as we read it today, God's going to illuminate this to you. So if you have your Bible, open it up to John 15. And uh, we'll start reading it at verse 1. It says, or this is Jesus speaking, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep 
my commandments. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning and this day that we can be in your house with your people and gather around your word. God, we've read your word. We've listened to it. Now we pray, God, that you would illuminate it, help us to understand it, the depths of it, God, the meaning behind it. And I pray, God, today, even as we leave this service this afternoon, that we are not just hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Everyone said, amen. All right, just making sure you're with me. Good to see you guys. Um, You know, I I love how Jesus is such a great teacher. Many times he'll teach, and he tries to teach us difficult things about God, about heaven, about the kingdom of God, the spiritual realm. This is very hard for us to comprehend because we don't really live in the spiritual. We live in the physical, right? Right? But Jesus is constantly trying to give us a window into who he is and who God is. There was one time Jesus was talking to his disciples. He says, I am the good shepherd. And it's in that passage that Jesus is explaining to them that he's the shepherd who leads them and guides them. He protects them. He sustains them. He's the good shepherd. Today, we're looking at how Jesus is the vine. And it's in this passage, Jesus carries that metaphor, the shepherd, but it goes further than it. Because with a shepherd, the sheep can technically live without the shepherd, right? Maybe not so long if some lions come, but they could live, theoretically, without the shepherd. But a branch cannot live without the vine. Jesus is trying to impart to his followers. How many followers do you have of Jesus Christ today? Awesome. He's trying to impart to his followers a deep truth that Jesus must be our everything, that our lives should be completely wrapped up in who he is. So let's talk about some of the metaphors used here. The very first thing Jesus says is, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's the first thing we need to establish, that you and I are not the vine. Amen? You're not the big show. You're not the main event. Sorry to break it to you. I think sometimes we think life revolves around us. We want God to move on our timing. We expect our prayers to be answered when we need it. But what Jesus is saying here is, whoa, everybody slow down. You are a branch. (laughs) Some of us are tiny little branches. But he's saying you are a branch. The life that you live is attached to someone else, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he says, if you're the branch, he says, I am the vine. I am the vine. We cannot survive without Jesus Christ. You may be able to live your life. You can breathe. You may be able to live a happy life. You could even be wealthy and happy and married and have all the marks of a successful life. But ultimately, it means nothing If the most important thing in your life has not been settled, the eternal spiritual nature that God has put in you, because the life you live on the earth is just a glimmer. It's just seconds compared to the eternity that you and I will spend. And God willing, it's with him. Amen? Amen. See, some of us treat Jesus like a supplement, not the source. 
We want to treat Jesus like a vitamin that we can take, and he adds to us. That is not what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Jesus is not an additive. He is the source. He is the base ingredient. Everything you and I have is built off of him. Jesus is our everything. We're the branch. Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. We have this moment when we officiate weddings at the church or through the church where we are speaking to the bride and speaking to the groom and we have all of their friends and family in attendance. And there's this moment that's always stuck out at me as we're talking to them because we're talking about the significance of marriage. But even in them exchanging their vows and talking about their love for one another, there's something even more important than that because there's something that has to be foundational to their marriage and their family. So we have this statement, it says, build your family's foundation on this spiritual truth, that with God, we will have everything, but without him, we have nothing. It's such a heavy statement, but I stand by every word of it, because with Jesus Christ, I am nothing. Without him, my family could fall apart. My life could fall apart. I am not ashamed to say I need Jesus Christ in my life. I've tried doing it my own way. I don't get that far. I need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Then he extends this out. He says, Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. But then there's a vine dresser, someone who cares for and manages the vine. That is, that is, is God, Jesus' Father. God is someone who prunes the vine, cares for the vine. Did you know that vines will not be fruitful, grapevines will not be fruitful on the ground? They're not like squash or pumpkins, right? You can leave them on the ground, they'll grow just fine. They they love the ground, they love the dirt. God doesn't want you in the dirt. You're not gonna be fruitful so long as you're dirty and in the dirt. So what does God do? He has to lift you up, he raises you up out of the ground. He raises you up, places you on a trellis and you are able to stand on that. And then as you grow on the vine, that's where you become fruitful. The vine dresser does a couple of things. The first thing he does, he washes the vines. I learned so much about vines and grapevines this week. I had no idea I was gonna learn so much. I feel like I could be a, a, uh, like a, a deputy vine dresser, you know? It's my backup occupation, my weekend gig. Um, but I, I learned so much. The, these things have to be washed, they have to be cleansed. Because if they're not cleansed, there could be uh, bacteria and fungus and infection that can get in there. The vine dresser has to go through all of the vines and all of the branches and watch it carefully to protect it from infection. This is what God does for us. He washes us. He cleanses us. You know, all of us, when we're born, we are infected and affected by sin. But the Bible says that God washes us by his word. That's what Jesus said. So as you get into church, as you get into crew, as you start to open the Bible, God starts to speak to you, he cleanses you, he washes you, and that's just the beginning. As he's cleansing you, he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be a successful Christian. So one thing he does, he takes out the scissors, he takes out the lopers, and he starts to prune us. He starts to cut off things that are unhealthy. The cutting process is not fun, amen? It's not fun. 
When God starts to take away those things that are dead or unfruitful or unproductive, he says, this thing is only sapping your strength. It's got to go. And the vine dresser prunes us and takes things off. Why? Because he cuts what he cares for. And he cares for you. Amen? Amen? God cares for you. He's pruning you. And this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. As I was studying these vines, it takes three years before a vine will actually grow and produce fruit. Sometimes we get impatient. We want God to move faster. We want God to do things quickly. And God is saying, hold on. There's things I'm working in your life. We need to cleanse this area. We need to prune this off of you. It doesn't belong there. God is pruning us. He's cleansing us. And here's the beautiful thing. You need a vine dresser. Even to this day, I was surprised to hear this. This is the one thing AI can't do. If you're looking for job security, become a vine dresser because one thing that a, vine, that a machine can't do is the pruning and the cleansing. To this day, 2,000 years later, we still need the hands of a caring vine dresser because to see You've got to get close. You've got to get into the vine. You've got to get into the branches to see the parts that are dirty, the parts that need cleansing. And that's what God does for us. He cares for us, and he loves us so much that he comes close, and he's attentive to us. He doesn't just outsource it to an angel. He doesn't outsource it to some saint. But he says, I'm going to do this personally. I'm going to put my hands over you. I'm going to put my pruning over you, and I'm going to start cutting and taking those things that are unhealthy, unproductive, that are, that are only holding you back, and he brings you life. You know why? Because the more you're pruned, the more faithful you become. Amen. The more faithful you become, the more fruitful you become, and that is the end goal. That is what God is trying to accomplish in, in us, that he wants to see spiritual maturity in all of our lives. And guess what? This pruning process never stops. It never stops. Every season, the vine dresser has to go out there and diligently care for all of those vines and all of those branches. It never stops. You and I are always going to be in a process of pruning. We'll always be in a process where God is being attentive and caring for and watching us. Amen? Amen. This process that we call pruning and this process where God comes close to us is what we call abiding. When we were reading John 15, you saw that word jump out 11 times because Jesus is a good teacher. And good teachers know repetition is the mother of all learning. Jesus is repeating himself over and over again, abide, 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 because he wants this truth to sink into us, that apart from Jesus, we're nothing. We need to stay close to him. Jesus is inviting us into a place where we can dwell and be one with him, the word abide means to dwell. Literally, when you go home and you sleep at night, you are abiding in your home. Abide means to remain someplace, to dwell someplace, to stay there. It means to give continuous attention to something. This is what Jesus is inviting you and I into, into a relationship where we can abide with him and be close to him. I think some of us get a little nervous about this, right? We, we're not sure if, we, if God really loves us, if he really accepts us. And I'm telling you now, the heart of God is to abide with you. Jesus wants to live with you. You can see this in Genesis. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see how God creates all of creation and puts man in the garden. And he does all these amazing things. And God shares it 
with humanity. He shares it with Adam and Eve. And he dwells, he abides with them in the garden. The Bible says he would walk through the garden with them. What an amazing picture that God is trying to show us. He wants to be close to us. What ended the abiding that God had with humanity? It was disobedience. The abiding was broken up when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and allowed sin into their life and into the world. That separated them from God. Ever since then, God has been on a relentless mission to bring you back into abiding with him. Amen? He's been bringing you back into relationship with him. He doesn't want you to be distant. He doesn't want you to be indifferent or cold. He wants you to be close and in relationship with him. It's in this passage later on in John 15. Jesus even tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You know this. Jesus wants to abide with you and I. He wants to live with you and I. You know why? Because the closer you get to someone, the more you become like them. Right? I love looking at newly married couples or couples still in love because they want to match. Everything's matching. They're matching shirts, matching hats. I was guilty of this. I outgrew it. I don't know what happened, but when... When my wife and I were first, you know, dating, courting, and getting married, we had matching hats, matching shirts, everything was matching. It was making everyone disgusted by us. They couldn't stand being around us. But that's because we were with each other all the time. You start finishing each other's sentences, right? You really know that you're abiding and you're one with someone when you both agree on where to go out to eat, right? You know you're on the wrong page most of the time when it's, I don't know, where do you want to eat? You should know because you know me. My wife and I know where we're going to eat. Why? Because we spend time with each other. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I love spending time with her. And the more I spend time with her, I start to pick up her thoughts and her emotions and her desires. And she does the same thing. This is what God wants for us, that we would be close to him so that you and I would pick up the character of Christ. You and I would be able to discern the will of God. God doesn't want his will to be a mystery to you. What does God want me to do? He wants you to abide with him so that when you're praying or in the word or speaking with people, you can hear God's voice and hear him guiding you and leading you. That only comes when we abide, when we're together with him. It's a beautiful thing. The problem is, some of us don't want to abide. We're afraid of the commitment, right? So we're more interested in dating God than marrying him. We're willing to see God on the weekend. Or we're willing to reach out to him on our terms when we're ready to. Because there's sickness or illness or we need his help with something. We keep God as like our emergency contact on our phone. That is not the relationship that Jesus is calling us into. He's not going to be your side boyfriend. He's not going to be your significant other. Jesus is saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I didn't mean to clap that at you. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, This is what he desires. This is what he he wants to be be in. He wants to be married to you. He wants to be so close to you so that you know his heart and you reflect his heart. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus. Abiding with him says, I am committed to Jesus Christ, that he is my first and foremost concern, that above everything else, I care for him. 
And, be, and regarding my life, I build my life on him as my foundation because he is my stability. He's my rock. Even if everything comes and goes, I still know that Jesus is with me, that Jesus abides with me. And the question is, how do you abide with someone that lived 2,000 years ago? How do you abide with someone who's in heaven? They can't literally move in and live with them. Well, the Bible talks about this and gives us several, several um, uh, ways in which you and I can abide or dwell with Jesus. The very first thing is, it's a choice. Say, it's a choice. It's a choice. You and I have to make a decision whether or not we're going to commit our lives to Jesus. Not just make him Savior, but say, he's my Lord. He's my King. I allow my life to come under his direction and his guidance, that I live my life according to what he wants to do. It's a choice. You've got to make that choice. I made the choice to get married one day. I didn't just wake up one day and find this woman in my bed like, oh, who are you and what are we doing together? No, I made a decision. Hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody in here. You're in church. But I made a decision to live with her, to bring her into my life and me to come into her life so that more and more every day we could become one because that's what God is calling us into. Not two-ness, not where we're separate from him, but oneness, where we're close to him. Amen? Is this, is this helping you? Are you understanding this? I love what Oswald Sanders said. He said, each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Ultimately, it's up to you and I. You are as close to God as you want to be. You know why? Because I know the heart of God. His heart wants to be all over you. He is, he is close to you. He wants to be with you. He is pursuing you. and He loves you. He's thinking about you all the time. Remember, he's the vine dresser who spends all of that time caring for, the, caring for the different branches. The heart of God is to be close to you. We saw it in Genesis, and you see it in, Gen- in, in Jesus, and I've seen it in my life. He wants to be close to you. How close do you want to be to Jesus Christ? What things, what obstacles do you still have in your life? Because the second thing, the second step to abiding with Christ is obedience, is to obey God. What are the things in my life that need to go? Again, with Adam, he was abiding with Christ, abiding with God, all the way up until disobedience came in. As soon as there was disobedience, that abiding, that relationship, that oneness was broken. It was severed. And now God has been constantly trying to bring us back into a position and a place where we can be one with God, where nothing separates us, because that's the heart of God. He doesn't want anything to come between He and, uh, between he and us. John 15:10 says this: "If you keep my commandments, say keep. keep. He says, "If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love." Notice the word "keep." Keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you read my commandments, if you listen to my commandments, if you like my commandments. What Jesus says here is, if you keep my commandments, that means you take the word and you keep it close to you and you live by it and you let your life be built around the commands and the word of God and you let the word into your life so the word is coming out of you. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's a beautiful picture. 
Amazing picture of what God is saying here. But it all comes down to living with him and keeping with him. To keep something means you're going to guard it. You preserve it. You do it. You live with this thing. And that's what God is calling us to do. Keep his word. Keep his commandments. There's different ways that I can show my love to my wife and different ways that you would show your love to your spouse or a significant other. I know for my kids, if I'm giving them candy, they're happy, right? That, that's their love language, candy. If, uh, it, it, maybe for you, it, it might be, you know, hearing your husband or hearing your wife say, I love you, you're beautiful, you're amazing. For some of you, it might be flowers or making them breakfast in the morning. These are all ways that we receive love and know that we're loved by those around us. With God, he's more interested and our obedience. It's the one thing, the biggest thing that he asks of us, obey me. What have I asked you to do? What have I told you to do? What have I commanded you to do? Will you do those things? That's God's love language. That's how God hears and receives our love. You can, you can measure your love for God by how much you obey him and obey his commands, obey his word. I remember hearing about a gangster, a guy who made a lot of money illegally. And uh, he, the odd thing was he was a very religious person. So he would be, you know, robbing people, beating people up, doing his thing uh, Monday through Saturday. But then when Sunday came, he would show up at church, very religious, and he would bring a tithe and an offering. Strangest thing. Because he felt that that was making God happy. As long as I give... And then God's going to be happy with my offering, and I'm, I'm good for the week. And then he would come back on the next Sunday, and that was kind of his way of cleansing himself. That's not how God works. He's, he doesn't work that way. It says in Nehemiah that obedience is greater than sacrifice. He was bringing a sacrifice. But what God really wants is our obedience, to obey him. Because when you obey, you're saying, my mind my will, my emotions, everything I do is for you. And that's what Jesus, that's what God really wants. Our obedience, our surrender, us saying, you're my Lord, my Savior. I'd ask you, what is God speaking to you about? It's something my mother asks me every so often. She'll say, David, what is God speaking to you about? She listens to God. She's always in prayer, always in the Word, wants to be close to Jesus. And God is asking you and me to do things. He's leading you and guiding. He's pruning you and cleansing you and washing you. And I'd ask you today, what has he been putting on your heart? What has he been speaking to you about that maybe needs to go? What are those things? Because God is speaking. Amen? I love how Pastor Jordan's been leading us through the Sermon on the Mount series. And in this Sermon on the Mount series, you, you, you'll see how Jesus is interested in showing us how the kingdom of God works in all areas of our life. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about marriage, he talks about divorce, he talks about anxiety and anger and our emotions, he talks about conflict and resolution, he talks about finances, literally everything that you and I might be struggling with, Jesus talks about in this amazing sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Be, why is he doing that? because he's trying to teach us and show us the areas that we need to obey God in, yeah. in our emotions, in our relationships, in our finances. This is the heart of God. And the deeper or the more you obey God, and it's hard, 
It's very hard sometimes to obey God because he puts his finger on something that you've been holding on to for a long time, something you don't want to give up. But God is saying, give it up. Give that thing up. It's very stressful sometimes, very hard. But as I was learning about the vines, I found this out, that the more stress put on the vine, the higher quality the fruit. I'll say that again. The more stress placed on the vine, the higher quality the fruit. God is trying to make you and I fruitful people. High quality people. High quality fruit would come from your life. But it only comes through that kind of stress where God stretches you and he's pruning you and cutting things off of you and he's refining you and washing you. It's not fun to be touched like that and messed around like that. But God is interested in doing that so that you and I can be very, very fruitful. I want to talk about this fruitfulness. You know, when you think about fruit, fruit has characteristics, right? Fruit has characteristics. First, fruit is visible. You can see fruit. There's no such thing as invisible fruit, right? Another characteristic of fruit is that fruit takes on the character of the plant that it's attached to. You don't get pears from an apple tree, right? So whatever we are attached to, Jesus is the vine. What comes from Jesus comes into us. And Jesus is saying, take on that, those kind of attributes, things from him. The third thing that we see is that fruit benefits other people. The fruit is not for yourself. The fruit is not for yourself. God makes you fruitful for other people. When Jesus is talking about abiding with him, it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with our position being with Jesus, but then God using us to now bless and help and be fruitful for other people. The fourth characteristic that I see in fruit is that fruit is made to replicate. Fruit is supposed to grow, supposed to multiply. It never is supposed to stay by itself. Fruit does not die, and that's the end of it. It's not a dead end, but the fruit grows and regrows and has generations of growth because of that fruit. It's how replication takes possible. God wants you and I to replicate. He wants you and I to be visible. He wants you and I to be a benefit to other people. Amen? This is the fruitfulness that God is calling us to. What kind of fruit do we see here in John chapter 15? The very first one, number one, is God, Jesus specifically. He wants you to have effective prayers. He wants you to have powerful prayers. Have you ever felt, man, I feel like my prayers are not heard. I feel like my prayers are not as powerful. I want you to know God's heart, God's desire is for your prayers to make it to heaven and then heaven to move. Amen. He wants your prayers to be able to move heaven, angels to be dispatched, because as you're praying, you're moving the heart of God. This is what happens when you are abiding with Christ. You're no longer so concerned about yourself, but other people, and that's the heart of God. You're no longer praying prayers that are just about me and my family and my future and my needs, but you're now starting to pray prayers that reflect God's heart because God is always thinking about other people. You have effective prayers as you abide with Christ. 
start to pray and your, 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 your emotions and your will and your desires all start to come around what Jesus would care for. So you're not praying for a Bentley, you're praying for a, a breakthrough in a family member. Right? You're not praying for a second house, you're praying for salvation for family members. You're no longer consumed with just your house, you're consumed with God's house. This is what happens when Jesus is abiding with you and living with you, his character, his heart, his desires become your character, your heart, your desires. Amen? Amen. Powerful. And that is powerful prayers. I can remember years ago when my kids were sick, I remember I was driving and one of my sons just said, Daddy, I do not feel good right now. My tummy's not feeling good. I said, don't worry, we're almost home. And uh, I'll pray for you. I started praying for him and... Uh, I prayed, Jesus, heal my son. Sickness, come out of him. And uh, yeah, some of you know where this is going. <laughs> Remember, I'm in the car. So, so it came out. But it's important to pray specific prayers. <laughs> A lesson that I learned because it was all over, all over the seat and his brothers. That was not fun, not fun. You pray effective prayers. If I were to ask you to stay after service today, because we're going to share testimonies of God, how God has answered your prayers, I have no doubt we would be here for days. Days. I could go on for hours about answered prayer in my own life. My wife could do the same thing. And I know many of you would be able to do the same thing. Recount God's faithfulness and goodness. Why? It's because these are men and women who abide with Christ. They hear from God. They want to be close to God. They're not praying silly prayers. They're praying powerful prayers that align with the will of heaven. Amen? Amen. Number two. Number two, the second example of fruitfulness that we see here is you have a new love for Christ and obeying his word. John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Part of your spiritual maturity is you start to love God's word. I love it. I love it when, when I get to talk to people who are about to be baptized. And they talk about how God is changing them and they're giving up things like smoking or alcohol or they're breaking unhealthy relationships. And I say, why? What brought you to that? Because I didn't tell them to do it. Most of the time, they're doing this all on their own. And I say, why are you doing this? And they said, it's because I've been spending time in the Word. I've been spending time in prayer and in church. And as I, as, I, as I learn more about God, I'm learning that some things in my life have to go. And that's what happens. What is that? That's fruitfulness. Good fruit is now coming from that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. The third thing that we see with fruitfulness is the actual fruit of the Spirit. I want to read with you from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. This is a verse I would encourage you to memorize and pray it over your life because this is what God puts in you. This is the fruit that he wants drawn from you. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit God wants from your life. And notice, it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give you love and you get to say, I don't want to be more patient or I don't feel like being very kind. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you receive the fruit of the Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit and he comes bringing all of this fruit with him. So suddenly, you start to become more kind to your spouse. 
and more loving for your spouse. You become more patient with your children, your coworkers, your family members. And as that patience is in your life, there's goodness coming from you, kindness coming from you. This is because the fruit of the Spirit is alive in your life. God wants you and I to be fruitful Christians, fruitful Christians. It's interesting that the very first fruit mentioned there is love, love. Jesus talks about love so much in this chapter in John 15. He talks about it so much at the Last Supper with his disciples. But here he's saying, and he's saying this to you and I, if you're going to be abiding with Christ, if you're going to spend time with Christ, expect to love more. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to love your enemies and love people who are evil or wicked or people who have hurt you and harmed you. But God is calling us to have his love. Because even when Jesus was dying on the cross, you could see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Amen? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is that? That's a love that was on Jesus. And if you and I are branches attached to Jesus, he's the vine. As that love is flowing through him, it comes into you and me. And we become more loving. Amen? Even when we don't feel like it, God just starts to give us a grace and an ability to love people that are even unlovable. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing, powerful. The last thing that I see here in terms of fruitfulness is joy, joy. These things, he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus is saying, the joy that I have, my joy, Jesus, the Son of God, perfect, dwelling with God, he now says, I want you to have that same joy. That's beautiful. That's powerful. Because the joy that Jesus had and demonstrated through his life is not happiness. Happiness will come and go. Happiness, one day you're happy, one day you're sad. One moment you're happy, the next moment you could be sad. Why? Because happiness is dependent on situations and circumstances. Happiness can come from your spouse. Your spouse might make you happy, but they could also make you unhappy. Your children might make you happy. Your work could make you happy. The weather could make you happy. But every one of those things, even though they may be good things, they're temporary. When God gives you joy, he's giving you something that is internal and eternal. It will be with you forever. Amen? Amen. The joy of the Lord. Say, I receive his joy. Receive his joy. I feel if there's one thing I need more in my life, I want to see this fruit in my life. It's the joy of the Lord. Where I am not bothered by every circumstance and situation that a flat tire is not going to slow me down or a, a bad situation, but I'm going to have a joy that resides and is structured in Jesus Christ, built on Him. Amen? This is the joy that God's inviting you to have, one that is internal and eternal. I'm going to invite you just to stand up with me. I want to share this story with you as I close my message today. There's a woman that lived uh, almost 200 years ago now. She died about 100 years ago. Her name was Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a remarkable woman. You know, she grew up in rural New York. 
to her mom and her dad, very godly home, very good people. When she was six weeks old, just an infant, she was very sick, and they brought some doctor in who uh, turned out he really wasn't even a real doctor. He was just somebody, you know, a charlatan that was getting paid for his services, but he really wasn't performing medical services. But he had put some strange anointment on, on Fanny, and she went blind as a result of this, six weeks old. So she was blinded at six weeks old, and she was never cured from that. She stayed blind her entire life. At six months old, her father passed away, leaving her mother a widow. Her mother would remarry, and she had three more children, but then her new husband abandoned the family. So here is Fanny being raised by her mother and her grandmother. No father, dealing with blindness. But something happened throughout her life, because even as she was a child, a baby and a toddler, she would have her mother and her grandmother read her the Bible, read the scriptures to her, and it would wash over her fanny, and it would change her. And she had this deep relationship with Jesus Christ because the word was being proclaimed to her. It's amazing. By the time she was 15 years old, she was able to memorize large portions of the Bible, not verses or even chapters, but books of the Bible. By 15 years old, she was able to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. She memorized Proverbs and many of the Psalms. It's incredible that she was able to do this because she was abiding with Christ and she wanted to be in the Word. And as she was spending time with Jesus as this teenage girl, she would get revelations of God's love. And she knew him like most people wouldn't know him. She would start writing songs. She played instruments, piano, organ, harps. She was a soprano, but she would write songs, and that's what she was best known for. We sing to this day many of her hymns, even today. In total, she would write 8,000 hymns. I want to read to you just one of them. She writes, give me Jesus. We were singing the song earlier. She says, give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abides forever, through eternal years the same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With the Savior watching over me, I can sing, though thunders roll. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Fanny would die blind, but today she sees. Today she's in the presence of Jesus Christ. She sees him perfectly, better than you and I could ever. She sees him as her source and her foundation and her hope because she built her life on it at 15 years old. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.